the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is the Friday edition of the Word to Stand On for Life, a radio program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your questions, Bible questions, church questions, life questions, anything and everything that's on your heart. I will do the best I can. I need you only to call us. You can dial 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, it's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can send them in via our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. If you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is use the free KSLR mobile app. Hit the call now banner, and you will be connected directly to our studio producer. One more time, 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Uh, Lots going on this weekend. I know this is a busy weekend for all of us. We've got church tonight. A really, really significant study in Hebrews chapter 7. I'm going to start in verse 11 and go uh, through verse 25. At least that's my current plan to get that far. Uh, wherever it is you're going to church, remember what I try to remind you often is go to serve, not to be served, but go to serve. Be Jesus' arms, be his heart, get the focus off you. Jesus said, if you find your life, you'll lose it. If you lose it for him, you'll find it. And I would ask all of you to go to church, spend some time getting your heart ready and go to church with the specific intent of losing your life. And then what's going to happen is you're going to find it. Jesus is there. He's going to smile on you. He's going to say, this is what I've been talking about. So uh, have a great, great weekend at church. I'll be teaching uh, out of Luke chapter 13 on Sunday. And for all of you moms out there, have a wonderful Mother's Day. Uh, Obviously, we needed you or none of us would be here. But we love you. We appreciate everything that you've done. Let me start off with a question. A very special person uh, wrote in and asked me if I would deal with the question about 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. Would I explain more fully what that means? Uh, I'll do that, but let me read the first five verses because I think without the context, it's really simple to to misunderstand these passages. Uh, Paul writes, now remember, he's writing to a carnal church. He's writing to a bunch of people. Now, he spent a year and a half there. He founded the church. He knows the people. The people know him. His heart is broken because a letter has been written to him that indicates there's all kinds of problems in the church. And so this is really a letter of rebuke. It's a letter scolding them. Everything they're doing, and I don't mean most things, everything they're doing is wrong. Carnal, fleshy, doing it with the wrong motives, all the wrong reasons. And so this whole letter is a letter of correction uh, and, and even stinging rebuke. Now, we know from 2 Corinthians that when Paul wrote this letter, 
he wrote it through tears. It doesn't sound like it when we read it. It just sounds like he's angry. But this is the heart of God in the Apostle Paul. He wrote it with his heart broken, crying because he so cared for the lives of the people that he was addressing. So at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 3, um, talking about rewards and talking about the divisions in the church, you know, whether you're Paul or Apollos or Peter or of Jesus, you're all of Christ. So in other words, stop the silly arguing. And then he says, there's no chapter and verse divisions in the original manuscripts, and this actually is a really bad one. He concludes with that. Okay, you've been arguing about one another, you've been picking sides. And then he says, so then men ought to regard us. The us is a reference to the apostles. Ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the secret things of God. And then this is one of my favorite verses. I use it as much as I use any verse. Verse 2, now it's required that those who begin to trust must prove faithful. Nobody just gets something. We have to prove faithful. And Paul is saying that as apostles, we have proved faithful. And then he says this, and this is Paul speaking of himself. He says, I care very little if I'm judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Now, before I read the verse that I was asked about, I want you to think about the impact of what Paul just said. He said his conscience is clear. In other words, I'm doing the best I can. I'm doing all things as unto the Lord. I'm doing it, I think, with the right heart and the right motives. But then he says something that we can all learn a lot from. He says, that doesn't make me innocent. In other words, while I'm doing my best, I could be doing some of this wrong. Well, I think my motives are good. I th- there is a possibility that there is selfishness, that there is something other than noble motives. So I'm doing the best I can, but I can't be sure. And then he concludes by saying, it's the Lord who judges me. And then verse 5 he concludes, therefore judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's hearts. At that time, each will receive his praise from God. Um, what he's saying is, look, you can choose Peter, you can choose Jesus, you can choose um, me, but, but see, we're just servants trying to do the best we can. And on the day when we stand before the Lord, we're going to find out how we did. Now, let me, I want to really personalize this. Um, I've been the pastor here at Calvary Chapel San Antonio at the end of this month. It'll be for 24 years. And I have tried to do my best. I've tried to be sure that my heart is right. I've tried to ensure that I'm faithfully discharging my duties. And I hope that I will be able to stand before the Lord. I think I will be able to stand before the Lord and say, I did my best. I gave it my all. Now, while I can hope that, that doesn't mean that I've done everything perfectly. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of correction the Lord has for me on that day of judgment, the day that was described in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, where rewards are given and rewards are lost. And so he's just concluding, judge nothing before the appointed time because Jesus is the one who judge. In other words, just keep doing the best you can. Do it with the heart that's always before God, examining yourselves daily to see whether you're in the faith. And then on that day, Jesus will let you know how we really did. And I want you to note one other thing. It says that the last sentence says at that time, each will receive his or her praise from God. So it's not like that day of judgment is a day where we're going to get uh, uh, ridiculed. It doesn't mean that God is going to say, oh yeah, I know you thought you were doing well, but, uh, but what about this and what about this? He's just going to gently let us know what we did right, what we did wrong, and then he will give us the rewards we rightly deserve or remove the rewards that we don't deserve. That's all he's saying here. And that's a real encouragement, at least I hope for, for some of you, to keep doing what God has called you to do. Just keep doing it. And then the Lord will let you know what you've done. But this isn't a punishment. This is all about receiving reward. 
I think too often we're afraid of, well, when we get there on that day and God is going to judge us, I'm going to be um, disappointed because I didn't do this right or didn't do that right. That's not what it says. He's going to give you rewards. That's what we need to remember. Don't judge anything before the appointed time. And I would add, in this case, don't judge others and what they're doing. We can look at people and say what they're doing, and we can say, well, I don't like that, or I don't agree with that. But they're the ones who are going to stand before God, not us. Not us. When we realize that God is for us and not against us, and that's what this passage says, he's going to be faithful to finish the work that he began. When we realize that, that's when we're really free. God's desire is not to criticize, not to judge. His desire is to reward us. To reward us. So I hope that really, really helps. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Let's go to a question that was sent in by Victor. Pastor Ron, I know there are people who claim to be Christians who do not believe in hell, but don't you have to believe in hell to be a Christian? Um, Victor, sort of you do. Now, I, I, I don't want to be ambivalent here, but, but I let me explain. Um, it is a heretical doctrine or a heretical belief to just sort of wipe hell away. Jesus spoke more about hell than he spoke about anything else. Jesus was concerned that people would be judged and spend eternity separated from him. That's never what he wanted. Now, in our culture, Victor, you're right. There are a lot of people who claim to be Christians who have come up with this idea of universalism. Some pretty well-known people have done that. They've done it because hell doesn't feel good. We've got to stop worrying about what feels good. And we've got to communicate the message that we've been entrusted with. That message is, Jesus wants to spend forever with you, but if you don't choose him, then you're going to be consigned to an eternity separated from God, and that's what we call hell, whether it be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus says, where the worm doesn't die. In Luke chapter 16, we see the rich man in uh, torment, he said, in the gulch opposite Abraham's bosom or paradise. I'm on fire here. Let Lazarus come over and just dip his finger in a little water and put it on my tongue. And, of course, Abraham in the story, and it wasn't a parable, it was a real story. Abraham said, no, he can't come to you, nor can you go to him. In other words, the choice has been made. And because we don't like the feel of hell, because we all know so many people, and in many cases we love a lot of people who've rejected Jesus Christ, and some many who are already in hell being tormented. Or in that Luke chapter 16 place, hell is the lake of fire and it hasn't been created yet. We've decided that hell's too harsh. And we rationalize it away emotionally by saying, well, God loves me and he wouldn't let anybody that I care about go to hell. And so we just sort of wash away the doctrine of eternal torment altogether. When we do that, we're denying Jesus. Again, nobody likes to think of anybody going to hell, but the choice has to be made because we're all made in the image of God. That means in large part that we are eternal beings. We're going to live somewhere forever. And what we've got to decide is, are we going to live with Jesus? We call that being born again. Are we going to live separated from Jesus? That's the rejecter of Christ. And to live separate from Christ is hell. Now, as to whether somebody has to believe that in order to be a Christian, I would say at the beginning of somebody's walk as an immature or brand new believer, um, no, you don't believe anything except that Jesus is the Son of God and God the Son who died for the sins of the world, died for your sins, was crucified, and didn't stay dead. And then you give your life to Jesus because he's God, he proved it. But for somebody to stay at that place would be a denial of the faith once and for all delivered to the saints. This is a place where doctrine matters so much. It doesn't mean that we have to be right in all of our doctrine to get to heaven. 
but it means that in those essential areas, we've got to agree with our Christ. As Christians, that's our responsibility. So, Victor, yeah, you really need, if you've been walking with the Lord any length of time, you need to agree with Him. And if you're unwilling to agree with Him because of your emotions, well, then you've got a real problem. I was just having a discussion with somebody this week uh, whose views have changed uh, 180 degrees from the time we first met, maybe 15 years ago. And all of the things that he once held sacred, he no longer does. He simply has denied all of those things because none of those things make him feel good and he's just come to that place where he feels more comfortable with what he believes. Now, the problem is, and where he's ended his race, and he's a, a, an older guy, he's ended his race at a place that denies the words, the very words of our Jesus. Now, can I judge him? In response to the first question today, therefore judge nothing before the appointed time. It's not my job to judge him, but when he goes to be with Jesus, and he's got some health issues, when he goes to be with Jesus, my heart is going to be broken because I don't know if he's going to be there as friend or foe. And the one thing I want everybody who cares anything at all about me, I want them to know beyond any doubt where I am. I can't imagine leaving Paula behind and her having to wonder, did he make it to heaven? Was he real? So we sort of set our faces as flint. That's what Jesus did as an example for us. And we stand firm in the faith once and for all delivered to the saints. Victor, thank you for the question. I hope that answers it. Here is a question from Reggie. Pastor Ron, in the Aftermath of Rachel Head Evans' death. Now, I talked about her death Monday on the program. She was a, a, a blogger, a, an author, um, somebody who once was uh, consistent in her conservative Christian views uh, and, and later adopted heretical views. Um, it says, in the aftermath of her death, in reading the comments that people wrote, it seems... People no longer believe that doctrine matters when it comes to going to heaven. Repeatedly, people say she had a relationship with Jesus, so she was saved. Isn't really believing more than claiming a relationship with Jesus? Reggie, uh, I mentioned this uh, on that Monday program, so uh, the, your, the que- answer to your question is yes. Um, what we claim with our lips, what we write with our pens or on our keyboards, None of that really matters as much as what we do with our lives. Now, Rachel Held Evans was a woman who proclaimed Christ, and she was uh, the the proclaimer of a progressive Jesus, or so she thought. But it really wasn't progressive at all. You know, progressive is a good word. It's used so horribly now. But what she was saying was, oh, no, no, you can't rely on what the church has believed for 2,000 years. Uh, God loves people, and people are the most important thing. And because I love Jesus, uh, and because I know God loves people, then people who live this way, and her, one of her particular things was was um, um, championing uh, equal rights for women in all positions in the church. Um, the other one was uh, really, really campaigning for a full inclusion of the LGBTQ lifestyle. Uh, those are things that would single her out as an unbeliever. And you're right, way too often doctrine is downplayed in favor of goosebumps, in favor of emotions. So Reggie, no value praying for her at this point. Decisions already made for her. But there's two things you could do. You can pray for her family. She had two children and a and a husband whose hearts are broken. The other thing you can do is um, be sure that, that doctrine matters for you. Don't be 
led astray by what I call goosebump Christianity, whatever feels good. You know, in the time of the judges, it said it was a time marked by man doing what seemed right to him. Well, in this time that we live in, man is still doing what seems right to them and discounting the Jesus Christ who was given as a gift to this world. We're trying to change him, trying to conform him into our image instead of remembering and living like we have been made in his image. We're to conform to his image to be more like him every day. And whenever we say, well, the Bible says this, I just don't believe that a God of love would do that. What we're doing is we are declaring that Jesus this God of love isn't really God at all. We're calling him a liar. We're discounting 2,000 or so years of New Testament teaching from the apostles on up. So we have to get our doctrine from the scripture, not from how we feel about it, not from what people say. And believe me, in these last days, God is looking for people who will stand firmly on solid doctrinal ground. Because if you don't have it, you have no relationship with Jesus. So, Reggie, I said that uh, earlier in the week, so hope that makes sense to you again. Sylvia says, Pastor, and why does God hide himself from us instead of showing us who he is clearly. And I think the idea Sylvia's communicating is why doesn't God just come and settle all these arguments about who he is and what he's here to do, what he wants from us, by just kind of showing up. Well, Sylvia, here's what I want you to understand. That is precisely what he did 2,000 years ago. That is precisely why he did what he did. So that we could say God has visited us. God showed us who he was. And he did it because God became a man. Now, Sylvia, when people ask this question, usually it's either out of frustration or unbelief. I don't know what to believe. Why doesn't God just appear and tell everybody what's right and what's wrong? He's already done that. And you have the record of those things in your New Testament. You've got predictions of those things in the Old Testament, but you've got the fulfillment of the record of those things in the New Testament. I, I don't understand, Sylvia, why it's so hard to believe crystal clear evidence that Jesus did live. He died. And now he's alive again. I mean, the evidence is absolutely overwhelming. I don't know how much more clear he could be. Read the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus revealed God to us. Want to know what God looks like? He looks like Jesus because Jesus is God. Now, if you're thinking, well, that was 2,000 years ago. Why does he do it now? You know, Sylvia, I've been talking earlier this week, we had a lot of questions about the last days. And in these last days, Jesus is telling us, I'm coming soon. And here's what I want you to know. When he comes again, Sylvia, it'll be too late. When he comes again, it will be because you've already been thrust into the Great Tribulation. And he wants you to believe now, based on what he's already done, what he's already said, what he's already proven to this world. I mean, think about this. Has any human being in the history of the world ever changed the world as much as Jesus did or even anywhere close? And the answer, of course, is no. How could a man who virtually never left a 90-mile strip of dirt in the Middle East. Most of his ministry was carried on in about a 10 square mile area. At the time of his death, there were only 11 followers and another 120, we call them the apostles, but another 120 
who believed. That's all. Just We would think as he died, oh, he had minimal impact. And yet that dead man who's alive has changed the world in ways that nobody ever could have imagined. When he comes next, Sylvia, it'll be too late because he's bringing judgment. So if you want to know what to do, you want to know who he is, and you want to know it as clearly as you can, read your Bible. Let me give you a suggestion, Sylvia. Read the first three chapters of Ephesians. Won't take you long. Read it five, six, seven times. Read it out loud and see if Jesus doesn't appear to you. Not physically, but he will appear to you in your heart. We've got 30 minutes left in the week. You're listening to the Word to Stand Up for Life. We'd love your live calls and questions. 340-9585. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. We'll be back in two minutes. to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the program, our last 30 minutes of the week. Let's get right to the questions. Les asks a question that I think we've all asked at one time or another. He says, I don't get why Samson made it to Hebrews chapter 11. What are your thoughts? Um, you know, Les, I think sometimes we have a tendency to live as though God using us depends on us instead of depending on him. Um, Samson did a lot of things wrong. Samson was a man who squandered um, immense potential. Um, he was a man that was um, lustful and carnal. Um, but he made it to Hebrews 11 because he believed. You know, Hebrews 11, the entire book, as wonderful as it is, the entire chapter, all the names included in it, there isn't one man or woman in that chapter with perfect faith. Not one man or woman who did everything right or even who did most things right. And Samson, we find a man that God used to do marvelous things. And yet he was a man, just like many of us listening to this program, he was a man that was controlled by his flesh. And yet at the end, the end he wanted to be used for God's glory. Samson has one of the saddest lines in all of Scripture written about him as he was tied up by Delilah, he thought, well, as all the other times before, he would just snap the ropes. But then it says this, but he did not know that the Holy Spirit had departed from him. So his source of power was gone. And he paid an enormous price, taken captive by the Philistines. He was made sport of. He was paraded around after they gouged out his eyes. He just sort of tread the grain mill. The other Philistines would come around and laugh and mock the one who once they were so fearful of. And even through all of that, Samson knew he deserved it. And yet at the very end, he said, God, give me one more chance. To serve you, give me one more chance to defeat this enemy. And of course, we know that happened, and Samson went to his death, but he, because he believed God, he's included in Hebrews chapter 11. Now, lest they're not going to write any more Bibles, but if there were going to be an addition to Hebrews chapter 11, and let's say your name or my name was included in it, 
believe me, it wouldn't be because we didn't mess up. It wouldn't be because we were completely faithful. It would be because there was a time against all odds when we believed God. And that's what Hebrews chapter 11 is about. How God can use imperfect people to do miraculous things. And all we have to do is believe God and partner with Him. And you know, while our relationship with God is different than Samson's was or anybody else in Hebrews chapter 11, for that matter, by faith, we're going to be rewarded on the basis of what we did with what God asked us to believe. That's the only basis for judgment. And we will receive rewards or lose rewards. But it will be because we believed. Maybe it was just something small, but it was hard. And the circumstances didn't make it appear as though there was any possible way God could deliver you. But you took that step of faith anyway. And God used you. And that would enable him to use your name less in Hebrews chapter 11, the New Testament addendum. 340-9585. The phones have been quiet, but we've got our first caller today. Let's go to Cindy calling from San Antonio Online 1. Cindy, thanks for the call. You are on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. Yesterday, Hi, yesterday we were in Joshua in the Thursday morning ladies study. Mishy taught. She did a great job. And now what I'm wondering about is uh, chapter 20, verse 6. Now it's talking about the city of refuge that when somebody unintentionally and accidentally kills somebody, this person is sent to or can go to a city of refuge. And um, and, and the verse that I'm wondering about is he is, it's, it's uh, chapter 20, verse 6. He is to stay in that city until he has stood trial before the assembly and until the death of the high priest who is giving, who is serving at that time. Then he may go back to his own home in the town from which he fled. Now, what I'm curious about is why did he have to wait for the priest to die? And then my other second question is somewhere I lost where I read that it said that they would cast lots over, you know, some issue or, or something. And I just wondered, what are they using when they were casting the lots? And, huh. and so those are my questions, and I'll get off the phone and listen on the radio. Bye. Thank you, Cindy. Thank you, Cindy. God bless. A uh, couple of things. One, the lot one is, is easier. Uh, the, you know, there's references to the Uman and the Thumam. That's a mouthful. Um, and we don't really know what they are. You know, it was a bag, we're told, that... that we cast stone, there'd be a white stone or a, a, or a dark stone to give you an answer, one yes, one no kind of thing. And that's what they would be when they were casting lots. Other times they would have um, um, sticks and they would throw them out and a stick that would, would be apart from the others pointing to another direction would give the answer. Uh, we know that's how uh, Matthias was chosen as Judas's replacement. Uh, it was purely an Old Testament method of discerning the will of God. And the, the Bible says God is is in control over the cast of the lot. So so that was the way they would get his, his will on things. And remember, they didn't have a personal relationship with God in the Old Testament in the sense that we do. They had no Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had yet to be given. So what they did is they followed the law as best they could. The law said cast a lot. Uh, the priests would do it, and, and and they would discern God's will. So uh, the the casting of lots, um, we still have people trying to do that today. Well, how do I know? I'm just going to sort of throw all caution in the wind. Jesus, you lead me and guide me. Uh, we don't have to do that anymore because we have God's word, and we have God himself living in us. Um, with regard to the cities of refuge, um, the cities of refuge was a wonderful picture of Jesus Christ. Those of us who are guilty can run to Jesus and he will be our refuge, the, the shelter of his wings kind of thing. And the city of refuge was a place where somebody who committed uh, an accidental death could run um, to avoid the avenger of blood. It was considered a solemn duty if, if a family member knew that you were responsible for the death of 
of his family member, then uh, he had to avenge his family member's blood or his family would lose face. So that was just the way it was in a tough world. The ancient world was a very, very tough world. So the cities of refuge were set up by God uh, under the law of Moses um, to give people a place to go till their case could be heard so that they could get a fair trial. And of course, it, didn't, it wasn't a place where they could just run and hide, but there would be a trial and nobody could come in. The Avenger of Blood would have to wait until a, a, a verdict was rendered. Now, uh, when you say, why did they have to wait till the high priest who was serving at that time was dead? Uh, if somebody was innocent and they were found innocent, the high priest was sort of um, God's sign of protection, you know, in the in the uh, great tribulation, God is going to put His seal of protection on His hundred forty four thousand witnesses. They can't be touched; they can't die. Well, this is simply saying the high priest in lifetime is a protector. So, stay where you are in the city of refuge. But when he dies, it's like all debts are wiped clean, and you can start over. Then you can go back to your hometown and start. And then, of course, he would be prohibited, or the avenger of blood would be prohibited from getting his vengeance. So I hope that answers your question. Thank you, Cindy. Appreciate the question very, very much. Here's a question from the radio side. I'm sorry. Oh, uh, Leon, I'm sorry. Leon, I didn't, I couldn't figure out what he was telling me to do. Uh, Leon called the studio and said, does Jesus know when he's coming back? Yes, he does now. Leon, he didn't when he was here. Uh, I had this question, I think, on Wednesday. Um, when Jesus was here, he he was fully human. He walked as a human, led by the Spirit. He veiled his deity. So when he said, no one knows, not even the Son of Man knows the time of his return, it wasn't like he stopped being God. It's just that that was information that as he veiled his deity wasn't available to him. But now, of course, he knows when he's coming back now. Uh, he is fully God. He is seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. That's the the, the power or authority position. And um, he knows now exactly when he's coming back. And personally, Leon, I think he's getting more and more anxious by the day. You know, when I was a little kid, my dad would say, Ronnie, we're going to go to Dodger game this, this weekend. And I would, all week, I just couldn't wait to go to the Dodger game. And so every night I'd go home and say, Dad, how many more days? How many more days? And, and he would say, four more days, or three more days, or two more days. And we got really, really close. I was excited. Well, I think that's how Jesus is, even now, about his return for his bride. Remember, Jesus is madly in love with you, Leon, and me, and his church. And he wants to marry us. And he is in heaven preparing a place for us. And when he comes to get us, we'll be called to be with him in the air. He's not coming to earth to get us. He's going to call us from the earth. We're going to be caught up in the air. And we're going to be met by him. And he's going to take us to the wedding supper of the Lamb. The, the, the point is, he knows, but we don't know. What we do know is it could be at any moment. I personally think, Leon, it's going to be pretty soon. I hope really soon. But in the meantime, I'm going to continue to serve God like he's not coming back for a very, very long time. But yeah, he does know when he's coming back now. He just didn't know when he was here on earth. Thank you, Leon. I appreciate the, the call. Here's Anthony's question. What does 1 Timothy 5.22 mean about laying hands on people? Let me read it, Anthony, and then we'll talk about it. It says, do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, and do not share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Um, he's writing to Timothy. Remember, this is one of the pastoral epistles. And when he says, uh, lay hands on no man too soon, or do not be hasty, the laying on of hands was a sign of ordination, or the imparting of gifts, or the imparting of an office. For example, you can read Paul's letters, and when he says goodbye to all those people, um, he, he's got people that have been in his life, um, and and they're tested and they're proven. They've they've demonstrated their faithfulness, and so Paul would ordain them. And some of them as pastors, like Philemon, uh, in that one chapter book. 
But, but here's what he's saying. Don't do this too soon because the people haven't had a chance to be tested yet. Uh, earlier in the program, I said one of my favorite verses um, uh, was, was uh, it's required, First uh, Corinthians 4.2, it's required that every man given a trust by God must prove faithful. So you have to prove yourself faithful and then God can tap you. Well, the same thing is true in church. I'll give you an example from our own church here, Anthony. I have um, six or seven staff pastors, seven, I think, seven staff pastors. And um, I've known them all a long time. There isn't one of them here who has ever promised a pastoral position. That's not why they came. What happened is they came, they started serving, they demonstrated that their heart was for Christ and and for his people. Uh, For me personally, they demonstrated their support and their loyalty to me, and they did that by loving the people that I love, the people in this church. And then it became clear after watching them for a long time, and I'm talking in some cases years, after watching them for a long time, I could see that God's hand was on them and that he was leading them in the pastoral ministry. And that's what it means to ordain somebody. You don't want to to, to give somebody a position or somebody a title too quickly uh, because if they're not tested, if they're still immature in the faith, then that'll have a tendency to go to their head and the enemy will mess with them. Uh, you know, they'll, they'll get conceited a little bit, um, think a little more highly of themselves than they ought. So what Paul is saying, again, this is a pastoral epistle. He's saying before you give anybody a job, before you give anybody a position or a title, Uh, Make sure you've seen them prove their faithfulness over a period of time. That's why when people come here to Calvary Chapel and they want a position or something, we tell them, hey, slow down. How about you just start serving somewhere and we'll watch you and you can watch us and the Lord will make it clear if it's a good fit, but, but it takes some time. You know, the people that God has entrusted to me, I love very, very much. In fact, I love them too much to let a wolf sort of run loose because I made a mistake. I've done that once here, Anthony, at Calvary Chapel. I've ordained a man to uh, a pastoral role, um, thinking he was ready, um, and he wasn't. And it was a really painful experience. And I, I don't ever want to do that again. So... That's what he means. You know, one of the things, Anthony, that I do, um, and I don't do this officially, Paul is the only one who knows that I do it, but if if I'm considering somebody for a pastoral role before I've ever talked to them about it, um, I'm watching their marriage. I'm watching to see whether the wife is growing, if there's children, if the kids are growing in the Lord. Because if a man, Paul says, can't manage his own household, how's he going to manage the house of God? And so I want to be sure that he's one of those men. We've hit the jackpot here at Calvary Chapel. 340-9585. Let's go back to the phones and talk with Laura on line one. Laura, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. I just wanted to give praise to God that... I had sent you an email probably a month or two ago that my daughter, Barry, had a placenta tumor uh-huh, and um, that, it, that it was uh, <laughs> high risk uh, for her and the baby. And uh, she went to the doctor today and they actually think it might be shrinking mm-hmm. and that there's no exchange of fluids between the baby and the tumor, which they were afraid of. So, praise God. Keep praise praying. the Lord. I will t- tell me again, Laura, what's your daughter's first name only? It's Barry, B-A-R-I. B-A-R-I. Okay, I will be continue to pray for, for her, and thank you for the update. That means a lot. Thank you very, very much. See, God hears thank our you. prayers. and uh-huh, Thank you. God hears our prayers, and Laura, it looks like she's going to have a healthy... Um, daughter who's a mother and a healthy grandchild. So praise the Lord for that. Maya wants to know, will we have free will in heaven? Uh, We will, Maya. 
but it's not like you're thinking of it now. Remember, when we get out of these flesh and blood bodies, this this body corrupted by sin, when we're out of these bodies, we'll no longer be corrupted by, by our flesh, by sin, by temptation. And so we will have free will and we'll exercise our free will only to do those things that God wants us to do. There won't be a one moment in heaven, not an instant in heaven, where we think about doing something bad and then say, okay, I'm not going to do it. No, there won't be a moment like that. We're going to have his heart. And since these flesh and blood, these corrupted bodies are gone, and our body, our new physical, resurrected, glorified body will be like Jesus' glorified body, we'll never again be tempted to use our free will in opposition to God. So yes, we will have free will, but the only thing we will ever want to do is please our Lord. Good question, Maya. Thank you very, very much. Uh, Nick says, Pastor Ron, how forceful should we be when discussing false teaching or false teachers online with others? Nick, as you may know now, you've, you've written in before with questions uh, I'm not a fan of discussing any of this nonsense online. Um, it just makes no sense to me to debate with people um, when, in fact, they don't want to hear, um, when you're not looking at them face-to-face. You can pray for them, but to debate with them makes no sense at all to me. It just never has. Now, we should forcefully oppose false doctrine, for sure, and false teachers, But you know what? God hasn't appointed you, Nick. He hasn't appointed me as the arbiter over who does what. You know, everybody has a Bible. Nobody has to be corrupted by false teaching. If they choose to do it, it reflects on really the carnal nature of their own hearts. For example, if I'm going to listen to somebody who's a prosperity teacher and I'm going to name it and claim it and I want to be healthy and wealthy and wise... Well, it demonstrates that I'm really not willing to be a servant at all. If somebody's teaching heretical doctrine, I have the spirit of truth living in me, as do you, Nick. I just don't understand. Now, again, I'm a dinosaur. I understand that. And I understand I'm not going to change the world. But I will say this until the day I'm with Jesus. And I think when I get to... Heaven, Jesus is going to give me the thumbs up because I kept saying it. Our mission field is people. Not virtual people. Not people we'll never meet. Not people on Facebook that have signed on as friends that we'll never meet face to face. Our mission is people. Why won't we turn our attention and time to those people? I think we should be forceful about false teaching and false teachers. I think we better know what we're talking about, but at the same time, Nick, I just don't understand the value of these foolish online discussions. Paul said we're to avoid foolish controversies, and instead we don't do that. Let's go to Ray on line one. Ray, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. Real quick, in light of what you had said about Jesus can't wait to marry us and uh, for instance if we get caught up in the air to meet him and, and on but then on down the road you had said yes we will have a free will and we won't have a bad thought what uh, just in light of that sort of idea what what is your idea of when we are married to Jesus, since we would have a free will, and, and I want to listen on the radio. Okay. Thank you, Ray. You know, Ray, these are things that, th- this is a whole new order of things. And anything that we can sort of conjure up in our own minds um, isn't worthy to be compared to that which we will actually experience. So, I don't know. Um, here's what I know. I'm going to think like he does. I'm going to be like he is. I'm going to see him in all of his glory. And heaven, that's enough heaven for me. Uh, The the mysteries of the universe are going to be disclosed to us. We're going to learn all the time. 
and being married to him. Having an intimacy with him that's unencumbered by sin at all is beyond our ability to imagine. I don't want anybody to get the wrong idea. Paula is my wife here, and I love her, and when we get to heaven, Jesus is going to make her stick around with me. I'm, I'm sure of that. But we will love one another. Paul and I will love one another more intensely than we ever could possibly have imagined on this earth. And we're going to see why that is when we're with him. And Ray, even to speculate, you know, I think when we get to heaven and we get introduced to the Apostle John, and he wrote so much about heaven, he wrote so much about the last days. I think we're going to say, why did you tell us it was this good? And he's going to say, because on earth, I didn't have the words. And then he'll just wave his hand sort of in a gesture and says, just look, behold the glory of our God. And that's a moment that we can't even imagine. I always tell the church, imagine if. This is a a moment we can't even imagine, but it is the moment that all of history is pointing to. So, Ray, I, I don't know any more than that other than we're going to love Jesus so much because we're going to see him in all of his fullness. Hey, thanks for the week. It's been a great week here on the program. You've been listening to the Word to Stand On for Life. Um, Remember, this is Church Weekend. Go to church, serve somebody, and let the Lord smile on you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Lord willing, I'll be back Monday. See you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, the Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.